Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. He is risen. All right. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you today. We praise you for Resurrection Sunday. A, a, a week that was started out as exciting with you entering Jerusalem. Even very emotional, though, as you cried over Jerusalem and as you <laughs> cleared the temple. And then your time of teaching, your time with your disciples, celebrating Passover and praying in the garden and ultimately dying on a cross. But the despair of the week is overshadowed by the joy of what occurred on Sunday morning. We can always say, well, Sunday's coming. When life is hard, Lord, we can always say, well, Sunday's coming. The resurrection is coming. We praise you for that, Father. Now, as we, as we explore what happened that day, open us up, Father. Speak to us. Help us to focus on what you want us to see and what you want us to hear. And may you be glorified. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. You know, the human body can survive on average about 40 days without food. That's average. Some of us, me included, sometimes struggles to, to last four hours without food, but 40 days without food, you can survive. Now, we can only survive about three days without water. And on average, you know, you can, you can survive for about eight minutes by not breathing. But I don't believe that we can last one second without hope. And see, because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we can any of us that, that see, our, our hope should not be in technology. Because any of us that, that use technology know that technology can easily fail us. We're not to be putting our hope in, in governments 
and in politicians because 99% of the time they will fail us. We can't even put our hope in our own abilities. I'm 55 and my abilities are not quite the same as they were when I was 15. And every day I work outside, my body reminds myself, don't put your hope in what you can do or could do. And we definitely don't want to put our hope in people because they too will fail. Our hope has to be in God and God alone. Because if we put our hope in anything else, we're going to be severely disappointed. So this Easter morning, where's your hope? Sometimes we lose hope. You might have lost hope in this life and in this world. Something has happened in your life that made, has taken away your hope. Real hope and your real purpose for life has been stolen because of something that occurred in your life. There is so much hopelessness in this world. So much. And part of the reason why is because of the unknown. Because we don't know what comes next. I watch a lot of videos of a lot of people who um, share their ideas of what's going on in the world today. And to be honest with you, even the experts don't know what's going to happen next. So that unknown leaves us with fear and hopelessness and despair. We fear the unknown, and that leads us to hopelessness. But see, God is not a God of hopelessness. Today we're going to look at two men who seem to have lost all hope. They're down in the dumps. Just cannot feel better about what's going to happen, what's going on right that day in their lives. Because, see, they had thought that Jesus, who they had put their hope in, had failed. They thought he was going to establish his kingdom and rule on this earth. And he was going to rule as king of kings and lord of lords. That Rome would be overthrown. And it would be similar to the way it was at the time of King David. What's interesting is, if we really think about it, you know, we say, boy, we're living in difficult times. Well, I'm not so sure this is the most difficult time this world has ever seen. I think if we go back to the Dark Ages, I think it was much worse than it is now. But we don't see that. We see our moments that we have today in our lives and what's going on, and we lose hope. But see, they did not know what the future would hold. Jesus had been arrested under false charges. He was tried in a kangaroo court where actually the outcome had already been predetermined. They knew what they were going to do no matter what was said. And he was crucified as a common criminal. They felt that everything had gone terribly wrong. So they left Jerusalem decided, let's leave Jerusalem. Let's just leave. So they left Jerusalem and they wanted to put as much distance as they could between them and the cross of Jesus Christ. So we go to the book of Luke, chapter 24, to look at this account of these two men 
who had lost all hope in life and thought they had placed their hope in a false Messiah. This is what it says. It says that very day. And that very day means that this was Sunday. This was the same Sunday when Jesus was resurrected. These two men have left Jerusalem or heading home. It says that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Average walking speed's about three, hour, three miles an hour, so chances are it was probably going to be somewhere between three and four hours by the time they got there. And they were talking to each other about all these things that had happened. They were rehashing the events of, the, of, the, of Friday and the events of the week and the events of actually that morning. Don't we do that when we're down our dumps? We start rehashing again in our minds that what happened that caused our issue instead of dealing with it. I'm not saying that you forget it. I'm saying you, you deal with it and you, it makes you stronger. Or it defeats you and makes you hopeless. So they're talking together. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It's Sunday morning. Jesus has risen from the grave. But apparently Peter had yet to post it on his Facebook page because they didn't have Facebook back then. These two men had heard what occurred at the tomb. They They had heard the account that morning. So they were probably with the disciples when the women came back. Because they had heard. But see, they didn't understand the full implication of what had happened. Don't we do that sometimes? When we are when we are in hopelessness and despair, and we're rehashing what had happened, beating ourselves up for what we did and didn't do. We don't see the whole story. And here these two men are, and Jesus himself comes up beside them and starts walking with them. And they don't recognize them. Now, either they were kept from recognizing them, or they were just so down and and so hopeless that they couldn't recognize him. See, many times we're, we're processing things, and we experience things without understanding that God has already worked out a plan for how it's all going to happen. He's sovereign. See, when we're hopeless, we sit there and we rehash and we, we, we think about what we're going to do. And the reality is God has it all figured out. He knows. He knows. We, we need to draw near to him. We need to talk to him all the time, all day, every morning, every night, every time during the day, always. Asking him, show me, give me strength. Because if we try to draw strength from ourselves, we're still going to be hopeless. Again, like I said, we can't even we can't even trust our own abilities. But they're rehashing everything. Everything that had been destroyed, all the hope that they had for the future and the confusion of what occurred at the tomb that morning. It confused them. It didn't make any sense. And then Jesus comes along beside them, but they didn't recognize him. They were wrapped up in the issue of the day as we do all the time, failing to see that Jesus is right there with us. There's a crowd 
wondering, why, why has God allowed us to see into the muck and the fire? Why has he allowed this to happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? We fail to recognize him. He's with us. The sun is shining down on us, but the clouds of what we're dealing with is overshadowing us. He's with us on the mountains. He's with us in the valleys, the deepest valleys. He's with us every moment of our lives. He promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And as he's walking along with these two men, he says to them, what's this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. So imagine this. They're walking along. They're talking. Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? And they just stop, dead in their tracks. Why? Looking sad. Then the one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? It's like, are you clueless? Do you not know what I'm going through? Do you not know what my problems are? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Hmm. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that, he had even, that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but him they did not see. It's interesting to note who the first people were that Jesus appeared to. We find in the Gospels that he appeared to certain people at certain times. There was a purpose behind who he appeared to. He appeared to Mary Magdalene in the garden. He appeared to the disciples in the upper room. He appeared to these two men. You know, I don't know about you, but if, if I was Jesus, probably the first person I would go to would be Pilate. I'd appear to him and say, look, it didn't take, you know? Wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't you want to rub it in their faces a little bit? Give him something his wife to talk about now, you know? Or they would, I would appear to the high priest just to shake them up a little bit. The first person he sees is Mary, Mary Magdalene, and these two men. And these two men weren't even part of the twelve. They weren't part of the twelve. They were part of the disciples. They were part, they were with them, they were with Jesus. They had seen and heard all the things that they had heard and seen, but they weren't part of Jesus' inner circle. See, what, what we've got to remember is. This is another case where we see where Jesus will go out of his way to encounter and to meet and to be with ordinary people. So why do we think that he's not with us? I don't know about you, but we're pretty ordinary. He seeks out the forgotten and the obscure. So the two men walk along with the conversation. They go along, ask what they're talking about. 
They should have stayed in Jerusalem with all the other disciples. What are they doing? They're heading back to Emmaus. And in reality, you think about it, they shouldn't be. They should be back there with the disciples. They shouldn't have left. They should have stayed. But they're trying to escape the pain and the hurt and disappointment that occurred in Jerusalem on Friday. They're dealing with it. They're talking about it. See, when, when you and I are troubled and discouraged, when we've sinned and, and, and the last thing that we should have done is we, do, we, we run from God, when we're, when we're disappointed, when, we're, when we feel like we've lost all hope, the last person we think to go to is God. Or we run from those around us. We, we don't go to the ones who care for us. Yeah, they're going to tell us things we probably don't want to hear, but we need to hear them. But we run from them. We need to run to God and share our troubles with Him and share them with those around us. Take your questions to God. If you have questions about what's going on in your life, why this happened, take it to Him. He's got pretty broad shoulders. Tell him about your pain. Tell him about your complaints, your sorrow, your doubt. But the main thing is to run to him, not away from him. But see, Satan is a crafty one. He is so crafty. He will try to convince you that you need to go off and you need to be alone. You need to deal with this by yourself. Because those around you don't understand. Those around you can't love you the way you think you need it. God doesn't care. God doesn't understand. He's the one who caused this. That's the lie. I found in my life, most of the time, my disappointments and my struggles are either caused by life itself, because we live on a fallen, in a fallen world, or it's my stupidity. And I think I lean most of the time to my stupidity, my humanness. See, the problem is, is that divide and conquer is the mantra of the evil one. And he wants to lead us to our own destruction. And the further away he can get us from God, the better off he is. The easier it is. If he can get us alone, he can increase our pain and our hopelessness. And we're more susceptible to temptation. So don't take the bait. Don't take the bait and seclude yourself from God and those who love you when you're struggling. These men have left Jerusalem. They're on their way to Emmaus. And you know they're not doing well because they're, they're just rehashing all of this stuff. They had separated from the fellowship of the disciples and from the cross. The result is that they're discouraged and they're confused. But there's something amazing that happens when we gather together as believers in Christ. We have no doubt that Jesus is with us and we get encouraged by it. So they share their struggle with this complete stranger, at least in their eyes he was a complete stranger. Because see, Jesus hasn't given up on them. You've got to think about this. These guys must have been really, really depressed and really hopeless because Jesus does not appear to the disciples later. Here are these two men are so down that, that Jesus himself comes to lift them up. 
But he doesn't just appear to them and show himself. What does he do? He talks to them. He's trying to draw them out. He's trying to draw them closer to himself. And they're so surprised that he hasn't heard what's going on in Jerusalem. How can he be in Jerusalem and not know what has occurred? I mean, everybody in Jerusalem knows what has occurred. And notice what they said in verse 21. They had hoped. They had hoped. Past tense. That Jesus was the Messiah. And it had been three days since it happened. They had hoped. Don't we, we hope for things? We lose hope? We don't see the good things that are coming. We only look at the bad that has happened. I mean, you can imagine Jesus saying, Oy vey, which is a Jewish term, by the way. How many times did I have to tell them that it was going to be, that I was going to be killed, and three days later I was going to rise? He had told them this. In fact, they said back to him, and it's been three days. Ding, 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 ding. You know, when you think they would have got it. But they don't. They doubt. They've lost their hope. They've lost their faith. But now, we have to be careful. We don't want to criticize these men too much. I mean, you and I, if we were, we were in an experience what they had experienced, we probably would feel the same way. We would be, be hopeless at times. There are times we don't, we don't listen to what God's Word tells us. We, we, we know what it says, but we don't listen to it and apply it. God tells us not to worry and not to have fear. What do we do? We worry and we have fear. God's word tells us to pray, always. What do we do? We don't pray. Oh, that's right. Somebody says, well, have you prayed about it? Oh, I, I was going to get to that. <laughs> it's the first thing we should do is pray. We panic. We try to deal with life alone just the way Satan wants us to. We turn away from God when we should cling to him panic that keeps us from praying is not good. So Jesus, is what he's trying to do is he's trying to draw this out of them. He's trying to rekindle this fire in their hearts that they've lost. What does he do? He takes them to Scripture. In Luke 24, starting with verse 25. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones. He doesn't even know them or you know, they don't think he knows them. He knows them better than they know themselves. But, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, that the things concerning himself. What does Jesus do to these men? He opens the word of God to them and says, Look, this is what the prophet said. This is what happened to the Messiah. This is what the prophet said. This is what happened to the Messiah. Do you not see it? That is where we find hope. Because if, if the prophet said this and Jesus said did this, then if Jesus says this, Jesus is going to do this. He, he doesn't lie. Anything he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He will not leave you. What happens? We turn away from him, but he's still there. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and you'll find rest. Take my yoke upon you because it is light. He's promised that. 
if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. He's gone, but he's coming back. He's going to. He's promised. If the prophet said he was going to do this stuff, he did it. If he said he's going to do this stuff, because he's much greater than the prophets. But we forget those things. We need to go back to the word when we feel lost and hopeless. It's the word of God that is medicine that we need to rekindle the fire in us and to encourage us. This is what Paul said in Romans 15. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our destruction. All of this. You're like, I don't like reading the Old Testament. It's just a bunch of stories. No, you must understand that was written for our instruction to teach us foreshadowings of what is going to occur. That through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You got to wonder, you know, what were some of the things that Jesus showed them? I'm sure that he shared with them from Psalm 22 and from Isaiah 53, showing them how the events that occurred on Friday were predestined or preordained to happen exactly the way that they did many years before. See, when we understand and when we're reminded that God knows everything, he knows everything that's going to happen, He knows everything that has happened. He even knows everything that's not going to happen. Sometime I'll share with you again how that happens, and that's in Scripture where it happens. He knows. He tells David something that's going to happen, that could happen, and then he tells David something that won't happen. He knows it all. He knows everything about your life. He knows everything you're going to do, everything you're going to think, which scares me sometimes because I wonder, man, he must really love us <laughs> to know everything that I think. Whew. But he doesn't want us to be discouraged when things don't go the way that we think they should go. Because we can always find hope in him, that hope that we lost. Now, I want you to imagine that these two men, as they're walking along, and as he is opening the scriptures to them, and he's telling them about the prophets and how the Messiah fulfilled what the prophets said, I imagine they're just flabbergasted, they're surprised that this stranger knows so much and is sharing with us. Jesus' words begin to, to fan that flame inside of them that they've allowed to go out of their hearts. See, we, we, think that, we think that problems happen in our lives and it's the problem's fault that why, we, why our fire has been put out. No, our fire has been put out because we've allowed it to happen. Because we've not done the things. We've not, you know, if I start a fire and, and I don't go and I don't collect wood to put on the fire, guess what's going to happen to the fire? It's going to go out, right? If it starts to rain, if I don't keep that fire hot enough, what's it going to do? It's going to go out. You can burn a fire, a hot fire in the pouring rain. It'll burn still, but you have to have it hot. So when things in our lives, are, 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 we're struggling in our lives, what we need to do, we need to fan the flame. We need to go to Scripture and fan the flame in our hearts so that it continues to burn. So the flame is kindled, rekindled in these men's hearts, and they still don't know who this man is who's walking with them. Speaking to them 
They don't know that the very one who inspired the words of the prophet is the one who is speaking to them. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. So they're drawing near to Emmaus. And he, being Jesus, acted as if he was going farther. See, you've you, you got to be careful. Jesus will walk with you. He is always walking with you. But you may recognize him, but you need to make sure you fully recognize him and you fully acknowledge him so he continues with you. He's still there. We just kind of, you know, we go off on a path and all of a sudden he's not with We don't think he's with us anymore because we're on another path. But he's right there. He's acting like he's going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. For it is, it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with us. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And what did they do? They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? See, they're so enthralled by Jesus that they want him to stay with them longer. Don't, don't go. Don't keep going. It's late. Come, stay with us. Notice that Jesus was going to continue on the road. He's, he's never going to force himself on any of us. You know, when we're, when we're struggling in life, it, it'd be great if God would just come along and tap us on the shoulder or punch us in the shoulder sometimes because we don't recognize he's there and say, hey, I'm here. What does he do? He waits. He never forces himself on us, ever. We have to invite him in. So Jesus was going further, but they say they want him to stay, so he does. They sit down for a meal, and as Jesus is breaking bread, he blesses it. All of a sudden, it clicks. (gasps) It's him. Their eyes are opened. They recognize that this guy who had been walking with them, telling them about the prophets, was Jesus himself. You know, you and I can use all kinds of fancy words and descriptions to try to get someone to understand who Jesus is. But you know, I I think we find him more often than not, people understand him in the more simpler terms. Think about this. How simple is it that you take bread and you break it open and you pray over it and all of a sudden they recognize who Jesus is? You know, he didn't have to tell them some deep theological thing about himself. All he had to do was break the bread and they knew. God, Jesus reveals himself sometimes in the simple. But see, the thing is, our hearts have to be ready to receive it. As those men were walking on the road and they're downtrodden and the flame of their hearts are, is almost out, Jesus rekindles it with the word of God, preparing them for that moment when he's going to break the bread and they're going to see him and recognize him. Because he, he, they even say, when we were walking, weren't our hearts burning as he was saying these things? I don't know about you, but man, that's a heartburn I'd love to have. heart on fire, hearing the word of God. Jesus had to ignite their hearts before they would see. 
which tells me that you know our spiritual temperature matters. It matters. What is your spiritual temperature? It's it's where you are. It matters. There are three possibilities when we, if we take our spiritual temperature, there's three possibilities of where, what it could be. It could be icy cold, lukewarm, or burning hot. So what's your spiritual temperature this Easter? Do you have a cold heart? Is it, is it hard like a stone so that you, you can't even chisel through it with a, with a hammer and chisel? Is it so hard that, that you won't respond to God and to His Word? You hear the message of God's word, and yet you really don't care. You just you just want it to be over with, so you can get back to what you want to do. And don't I mean we've all been there. I've been there. Nothing affects us. And the sad thing is, we're really proud of it. We're proud that nothing affects us. A cold heart is a scary thing because God's word tells us that during the end times, what's going to happen. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, And because lawlessness will go be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Don't allow your heart to go cold. Ask God to thaw it out and break away the ice. Turn to God. Or your heart may be lukewarm. There's nothing worse than lukewarm. I don't know about you. I love hot coffee and I like cold coffee. But I can't tolerate lukewarm coffee. I love hot milk. I love cold milk, especially with a piece of chocolate cake or cookies, which I don't eat anymore. So I don't really drink much milk anymore. I love it hot. I love it cold. But lukewarm? Don't like lukewarm milk or coffee. If you place a cup of lukewarm milk in front of me, I'm going to question your sanity. And if I drink it, I'm going to question mine. When Jesus was talking to John and having him write the letters to the churches, he said in Revelation 3.15, he says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were rather cold or hot. See, the thing about lukewarm, about being lukewarm, and especially as a church, if you are lukewarm, you, you, you realize you think you don't need any help. you got all these good things happening. You know, you have amazing worship and you, you have a, a message that, that everybody leaves is feeling really good about themselves. Yeah, oh yeah, that's awesome. Great church. But the reality is you're lukewarm and you don't even know it. A lukewarm church believes that they don't need God's word and they don't need the Bible. They make up their own God and they make up their own Jesus to suit their own desires. Oh, they think they have it all together. They look at their worship and they look at their message and they think, yeah, this is great. Or what they do is they relish the idea that their church is so accepting of everyone who has a different idea or a different lifestyle. But the truth is they're miserable and don't even know it. They're poor, blind, naked. Jesus is going to spit them out of his mouth. Remember, when Jesus wrote when Jesus had John write this down, when he said this, he was talking to a church who thought they were the church of God. 
So this message is to those who think they have it all together, but the reality is that their spiritual temperature is lukewarm. Lukewarmness is a self-satisfied condition where you think you have it all together and that you know it all. And the best inoculation against the gospel is lukewarmness. It'll kill the gospel because the gospel is heard even so, but it's not heeded. Don't be lukewarm. Heed the gospel. In James 1.22 it says, but be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, when we hear God's word and we don't do anything with it, when we told, we're told to pray and we don't do it, when we're told to have hope and we don't do it, when we're told not to fear and we don't do it, we're deceiving ourselves. Be doers of the word. Our spiritual temperature should be burning hot like these two men were when they, when they were listening to Jesus talk about the prophets. He re, Jesus rekindled in their hearts the flame they had, the hope that they had in the Messiah. So much so that they couldn't just stand there anymore. They, they had just walked for at least four to five hours. It was now nighttime. Jewish tradition. So they've walked their time. They've walked their tire. They're ready to. They're ready to stay where they're at. They're home. But Jesus has rekindled in them a fire that they can't just sit there. So what do they do? In verse thirty-three of Luke twenty-four, it says, "And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon.'" See, if they had stayed in Jerusalem, they would have known that God, Jesus had appeared to Simon. But they didn't know that because they were running away. They were leaving. Then they told what had happened on the road and, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So while Jesus is walking with them, talking to them, he is also appearing to Peter. He's working in Jerusalem amongst the disciples. He is restoring hope among the disciples. This is why this is why we must be together when we are struggling. This is why we can't just run away and be alone by yourself all the time. Believe me, I know. There are times I need to be by myself. I need to just, just leave me alone, right? Let me do my thing for a little bit. But I always got to come back to the people who love me. Have to. Have to. Jesus himself tried to get away to be alone. He kept coming back to those who loved him. Because what happens is when we start dealing with these stuff and our things in our lives and we start rekindling the hope we have, it rekindles the hope of others. That very moment, Jesus knows where you are. This very moment today, he knows where you are. He knows what your spiritual temperature is. He knows if your heart is icy, lukewarm, or hot. No matter what the state of your heart is, 
His method is always the same. To meet you where you are, with whom he is, within the beautiful context of the word of God. You see, Jesus, who died on the cross, was in the tomb and rose on Sunday, on the third day, is the Savior who was promised at Mount Moriah. He's the Lamb of the Passover. He's the manna from heaven. He's the suffering servant, the Son who suffered separation from God so that we wouldn't have to. He is the one who bore our sins on the cross. He delights in bringing fire to our cold and lukewarm hearts. But the caveat is that we have to let him. We have to invite him in. So run to Jesus. Allow him to rekindle your hope. Allow him to eliminate your hopelessness. He's the only one who can do it. He's the only one who can do it. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.